What a start for Brad Hughes. 180 metres to go. Looking good. Oh, what a shot. What a shot from Brad Hughes. Oh, my goodness. What a finish for Bradley Hughes. Easy number five, joining the lead. An amazing victory. For the second time, Brad Hughes wins the Australian Masters. This time by five strokes. Welcome to my latest episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. Former tour professionals are often neglected in the instruction world. It's a common occurrence for people to say, well, they were good golfers, but they know nothing about the golf swing. Just like tennis is now dominated by coaches who were former players, former PGA professionals know the ins and outs and the complete components that make and shape great players. Rick Fair is one such instructor. Former player, that has redefined his work ethic to pass on the knowledge that brought him low amateur honors in the Masters and the US Open, as well as two victories on the PGA Tour. Rick has passion for helping golfers become better, and it is evident in this conversation. I trust you will enjoy this latest episode, Rick Fair. Welcome, Rick Fair, to the Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. So you and I are kind of dinosaurs to a vast majority of people who follow golf today. But we won tournaments long before we started helping others play better golf and run our listeners through your career as a player, as a lot of people do forget that at one point we were players rather than just instructors. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, yeah, the young folks I work with, you know, they have no idea, right? It's even Tiger Woods is is, uh, is an old-timer to them. but uh, so. Free Tiger. Uh, so I grew up here in the Seattle, Washington. Uh, started playing when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Took a liking to it and uh, played a ton of golf. Super privileged, meaning my parents were members of a private club. I could play all the golf I wanted. Uh, our golf course back in that day, we had no driving range. So all of my, it was play only. And then evenings, they allowed us to hit some balls between the fourth and fifth fairway, you know, kind of hit my shag out there. So that's kind of how I developed my game. Um, played other sports, pretty good athlete, but started winning everything. I kind of showed up to at that age and that advanced and ended up winning a, a national junior championship, was recruited, played college golf at BYU, um, had a nice college career, All-American a few times. And we won the NC2As and played in the Masters and the U.S. Open as an amateur. Um finished low amateur in both the Masters and U.S. Open, and then um, turned professional, uh, did not get my tour card right away, and then started kind of got out there via Monday qualifying and a sponsor's exemption and kind of played my way on and, and had 17 years out there. Uh, I was two for about 400, two wins out of 400-plus tournaments, so not the win rate of, of Tiger, but I had, I think, nine runner-up finishes, so I had a nice career. Um, and, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. And then, but because I played in the era I played in, when it all wrapped up, uh, I needed to continue working, right? It's like the, the retirement plan isn't, isn't what people thought. It, you know, some people think I'm just set for life, you know, with the, uh, I mean, I'm grateful for the little monthly check that, that hits the account every, every month. But um, so transitioned into, um, into teaching and coaching 20 years ago spent about seven years in between being a player agent, kind of being the sports management business. So um, anyway, 
so that was a probably a longer explanation you needed but uh learned a lot through it makes it makes me curious and, and you probably share this too is like the curiosity of well how the heck did you and i do what we did you know and how do people perform well so i think it gives us a nice broad perspective and we're not probably too siloed into just swing or just just the mental game but you know curious as to how it all works together yeah, I was going to sort of, that was going to be my next question, kind of armed with what you know now from teaching. And would you have attacked your swing or short game or anything differently if you could go back? Because obviously knowledge is a great thing. If you Do you know anything extra now or would it just have improved or quickened some of the stuff that you already did? Uh yeah, for, it's, it's, I think that the answer to that question is very individual. So I'll give you my, you know, just for myself. Um, I, I learned to play very well um, with very little instruction. Okay. So I didn't have much. I just, it was experimentation, discovery, and that sort of thing. So um, if I had a mulligan, right? Excuse the golf lingo. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't have uh, when I had, and I can't remember what years it was when I, you know, really felt like my ball striking took a dip that I, I didn't panic, but I felt like I couldn't come up with the answers on my own. So then I sought out some coaching and, and it didn't work well for me, you know, no, no, no ill feelings, but um, it wasn't the right kind of instruction for me. Yeah, if I had the mulligan, I'd, I don't even know if I had 50 grand in my bank account back then, but, but I would have written a check to Butch and said, Butch, what do I do? Because he would have just taken me and flipped me over to hitting plane predominantly left to right. You know, I had kind of the bowed wrist, you know, inflection and kind of square to shut club face. And I played a little draw and, and looking back, it's like, that would have been a, like a five minute conversation and probably would have come right out of my struggles. So anyway, but, um, so for me, it would be less instruction. So I'd say that um, be more to myself. I mean, I'm sure it's even more difficult now. You know, the, yeah, I'm sure that practice facility at tour events now is just flooded with, you know, people, right? And there's all sorts of opinions. And um, But I really do think that, you know, I'm not currently coaching tour players, but but I think you got to build walls around them at some point, you know, and protect them from, you know, often well-intentioned, you know, folks that are trying to help them. But um, yeah, I would have, uh sought out less advice and and at the time i really didn't know the things i know now about where performance peak performance comes from and uh so that's kind of been you know what i've been in pursuit of as a coach now for a number of years is you know not the answer is not always a swing swing flaw or you know swing correction that often there's another way to to get a player back on track yeah, absolutely. I've, I've done a lesson with someone where all I did was let them hit my golf clubs because I had my golf club like two degrees flat and theirs were like mm -hmm. two or three degrees upright and they started hitting the bed. There was no technique at all. Yeah. I just said, hit this. And obviously it changed their whole whole logic. And getting back to Butch, I mean, obviously he gets a great rap as a, as a very good instructor over the years, but people forget he was a player too at some right. point. And his father obviously won the Masters. So he had a big golf pedigree that he had all these great players in front of him. And I've always been amused at, especially when I first started out teaching, how much opposition came towards me from 
all fronts, a lot of fronts, because most people would say, oh, you're a player, you just play, you don't know how to teach. But obviously that's that's not the uh, it's not the truth. I mean, obviously, I think you can learn something from anyone. Everyone read Hogan's book and they think it's amazing. Did he teach? Not very much. Um, you know, I think Sam Sneed probably knew a lot about the golf swing, as does Gary Player and probably Jack Nicholas, but they didn't have to stand on a range and do lessons with people all day long and sort of acknowledge that there's not just one way, there's a lot of different ways to get someone to improve or get a message across. And I think that's what Butch has done well, that he he's not um, stuck in one theory. He has a lot of ideas. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's where... Um you know, sort of, you know, you mentioned the dinosaur you know, analogy for, yeah, I've been around, I'm even a bit, quite a bit older than you are. And, and that um, things do change, but the basic principles haven't, you know, I mean, sure, equipment's changed and all that stuff, but it's like trying to achieve, still trying to achieve center face contract, contact and control face angle. And, and we, is it a new, it's not a new concept to you and I, Bradley, is it that, that speed and power is a good thing? Like, absolutely not it was like, always a good it, thing it's always not it's not a new yeah and you probably share this it's like in you know whether it be a social media post or comments that are made or something that's presented at a workshop you know i catch myself and i don't know what, what the rating is of your podcast but it's like you know i catch myself saying well no shit we've known that for <laughs> forever you know like there's some new discovery you know and and I just think that, but a skill of articulating that and communicating it, and, and um, I feel like a lot of a lot of golfers that are, you know, really very committed and work really hard, you know, and desire to play better, right? That that there's they're full of information. There's and it's it's not bad information necessarily, but the basic concept, how many of them have not found a way to grasp that okay what what do we want the ball to do what does the club need to do the ball to make that happen and then how do I make the club do that you know it's like and I feel like they you know they're thinking about wrist angles and they're thinking about all this different stuff with no concept of what they're trying to achieve down through impact and so um, I'm a big fan of making it simple you know I've gone off and studied I've read countless books I've you know gone through and quote unquote get certified and you know biomechanics and everything else but that stuff rarely pops up on my lesson fee. You know, that it just helps me to understand how it all works together. Yeah, I think technology, that's kind of what I had written down here. I think technology can or has been very beneficial to a lot of people. Um, I don't use it a lot. I'm like yourself. I, I kind of tell my students, you know, I'm I'm like a human track man. I, I can see yeah. all the numbers and because we know from growing up what what a ball does, why it starts where, and and how it shapes, and you can sort of break that down into what they're what they're doing themselves in their swing. So, and the other thing with technology is it's you know it's a good assist, but it still needs um, it still needs a subjective answer from a coach. You know, the technology only tells you the data. There's still some solution that has to be worked out, and a a machine is not going to tell you that so you kind of have to have some type of bright mind behind the technology to to help you achieve what you're trying to achieve and that's what you said you know better face control better path better angle attack all these different things which we can see to our mind's eye we don't need a machine to tell it but 
I, I kind of use a machine more as letting the students see and understand what's going on so they know what I'm trying to tell them. How, how would you agree with that? It's probably along the same basis. A hundred percent, yes. And that one of the things that one of the benefits, and I think it kind of touches on what you just shared, is that um, even though they, they've, they're they on your lesson tee, so to speak, because, you know, they respect you and feel like you're an expert to some extent or whatever, you're a good coach, right? So, but you'll still hit those points where they, they may want to question, like, uh, uh, are you sure? You know, like, and that sort of thing. And if you can point to a number on a screen, you know, whatever, it, it backs you up, you know? And so um, it's rare that I think you and I get surprised by what track man or whatever says, right? So it's because you understand ball fight, your eyes, you know, don't fool you. And, there, and there's the, as long as my wife says my hearing's not great, but, but you can hear, right? I can have my back to the student and, and you can hear contact, you can hear, you know, whatever. So all our senses are involved as a coach, but as a player too, right? So the, so often, in my opinion, a lot of golfers today understand more than ever about the technical aspects of the game, but, but um, they haven't learned the skill. You know, it's like, so it's ultimately it's like that golf ball can't see the top of your backswing, right? So it doesn't really care. <laughs> right. So, or the fir the first two feet of the takeaway, you know, and obviously if that sets in motion something horrible, you'll you'll address it. But I just I don't know I <laughs> I, I think I'm very skilled at at uh, you know uh, teaching golf swing and 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 everything. But but I think I still believe, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anyone can, based on just a video, right, a two dimensional video that's sent to them, you can really figure stuff out. I mean. You know, there's some stuff that jumps out, right? That hey, that's an obvious problem. Hey, try this, but that's where you know I'm primarily coaching in person. Just um, I just feel like that's where I'm at my best, and and uh, right, and you get a feel for their resistance to things you suggest, right? You get that, you can see the body language, and so anyway, I ran and there's a lot of there's not a lot. That, yeah, the, ahead, I was just gonna say the technology, like. You know, I think coaches have their favorites, you know, things that they use. Um, you know, I'm sort of starting to use my pressure mat a little bit more. I, I don't use it. I don't, I mean, I, 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 there was an opportunity to coach at a different uh, uh, club in the area. That would have been a great opportunity for me. But the the person in charge of hiring was just determined that the technology needs to be front and center, meaning when people show up, you hook them up to, you know, KVest and every you know just every time and it's like I just can't do it you know I had to walk away like I, don't, I just don't believe it Matt but but it's a great tool and it may help someone but um, a good coach I think knows when to use which technology if any at all absolutely yeah I mean I don't even use a lot of video to be honest because I know during an hour lesson their swing is not going to look a lot different because they've still got their tendencies and idiosyncrasies but the ball's going to behave a lot different if they're trying to do what I'm asking them to do. So, you know, I kind, of, I kind of film one to start with. I might show them what it looks like doing the drill that I'm prescribing or something. And then I really don't film them again because if they saw it, they'd probably throw up again th thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm not changing this, but the ball is changing everything for them. So right. I think yeah. people, you know, with the advent of phones and apps and everyone is so obsessed with looking at their swing rather than mm -hmm. understanding it or, or 
you know, reaching out to the conclusion that we did, hitting on the range when we were 12 years old. My divot's going there. I struck the ball here and it's the depth or shallowness of the divot and where'd it start and where'd it go. And it wasn't hard to work out if you understood those principles. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and so I think that, Riley, I think that that there's, um, if a dinosaur can give, you know, a, a young person a little bit of advice, not from a coaching perspective, for, but for the players we work with, it's like, um, how do we communicate um, the danger of that, that dependency, you know, on having to see a number to let you know what happened and that. And, and it's not, you know, sometimes, right, our generation, people say, well, they're anti-tech and they're anti-whatever. It's more just how we feel. We feel very strongly people develop skill, right, that um, they need to get their own feedback eventually, right? Absolutely. That, you know, we, we love to coach our ways out, way out of a job because they understand the cause and effect and they can be more independent and adaptive when they're in, whether it be tournament play and, you know, you're hitting a certain shot that that's hurting you bad. How do you make a correction in round, so to speak? And those, those are the skills that I feel like a lot of, like the young players all attend junior tournaments and it's like they have no, no, you know, if it's, they're missing it left, 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 left. It's like, they're just going to keep hitting it left all day long. Well, you can't take your quad or your track man out on the course with you. So you sort of got to know the cause. Right. The yeah. Right. So what, um, based on that, what swing logics do you hear on social media that just make you want to rip your hair out? Like that oh, people get sucked into the believe is a big fundamental or a truth when it really may not have much bearing at all hmm. well so it's, it's hard because where do uh, we start <laughs> yeah where do we start um you know I, I i feel like there's there's flexibility in how somebody holds the club meaning it's like you know it's like because you're just trying to find home base you know with the right with the right functionality right and um but i think that I might step back. I should answer your question more directly, but I would say that like I've seen a lot of good players that, that move the club away from the ball without the club head staying outside the hands, you know, to whatever position, right? And it may be a preference, right? And there may be some some physics as to why that might be better than somebody getting it running inside, but we can find great players that, you know, took it back a certain way that that's outside of that model. Um, you know, I think that um I think players the thing that I've found, and I don't know about you, but is that players have different feels and perceptions, right? Somebody might be more aware of a certain body segment or the hands or whatever, right? So sometimes, you know, if they think of what to do with their hands or the golf club, the body follows. And so all that different stuff. I just think that we can go back many years, okay, to, and this is even before I was coaching, I felt like, you know, it might have been the Ledbetter McLean era that, um, I have great respect for both of them, and I know Jim really well. I don't know David very well, but that when to 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 actually make a business of what we do, you know, back then it was books and videos or DVDs, right? And so I think sometimes you get talented coaches that are adaptive. You know, it may not be so black and white on on certain specifics and then when you try to articulate what you do and i need to read your stuff but it's just like there's principles but sometimes you know then all of a sudden 
um, you gotta, you know, not be as flexible and adaptable. Cause I think, I think those great coaches, you know, even the ones I've mentioned, I think in the early days when they were not, you know, leveraging uh, their reputation to, to make the money they really deserve, you know, because you know, a lot of coaches don't make much money. Um, then all of a sudden everything needs to be a system, right? And so I just feel like sometimes coaches in an effort to to make some decent cash, you know, it's, you know, we look at that. And so in, in this day and age, the delivery of that now is, you know, online content and, and all of that. And it's, it's in a lot of times it's very generous and well-intentioned, but I think that that effort can narrow the coach down, you know, a little bit more than they probably would if independent of that business model. But, um, you know, spars specifically, um, you know, the, the only absolutes I, you know, this very short list I'm trying to actually this winter, I haven't completed my project. I'm trying to figure out what are truly the absolutes. Like, I mean, there's preferences, you know, we can see wrist angles and everything else, but not every great ball striker is in that same spot, you know? And so what are they? And it's like, you don't see, you know, there's no good ball strikers that don't get, pressure to that lead side you know and you know the pressure trace you know this is this is using you know my body to track and that you know there's just there's the absolute there's you would never know that those are the similarities when you look at kind of their swing you know visually on the video right so what the ground measures it's like oh wow they tend to all do the same thing down there whether they know it or not right? sure. so, um i don't know what i'll throw it back at you are you on record already as uh, the the stuff that's perceived as gospel. Um, I, I I write my own fundamentals. I you know my books that I've yeah. done a lot of stuff. Yeah. I, I just you know not so much my own fundamentals. They're they're all fundamentals, but I kind of neglected some, like you maybe touched on the the grip and even the takeaway, and not really fundamentals because there's too many options available that have been used by good players. So. To try and tell someone you have to take the club this way, you've got to grip it this way, is is incorrect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And then, um, you know, I, I think that you mentioned it early in this conversation that kind of when you started teaching or coaching, how you know you maybe more than just perceived, you know, literally, you know, the perception is, you know, whether it be peers in the industry or whatever that, well. It's, you don't know how to teach or you don't know the swing you were a player you know kind of that i i do you know a lot of sure name recognition doesn't hurt right that and what you accomplished as a player but i think in the industry um i don't know how many times you've been asked to to be a presenter at a huge you know conference coaching conference and stuff right zero I rarely <laughs> yeah yeah myself too right and rare, rarely do other instructors you know I know you've coached, some, but, um, you know, are they reaching out to, you know, for, you know, I'm happy to mentor folks, you know, and, and I just think that, you know, it's kind of like former players, you know, um, maybe don't have much to offer. However, I can't, I can't think, I think off the top of my head who I've heard it from, but there is, there are, there's, there are folks out there that feel like it's, it's a big untapped resource you know, that former players who are coaching, you know, and so you got Brian Henning down the road from me and you're over there in South Carolina. And, you know, I know, I know Grant's doing a lot of work, you know, with, you know, with folks, but I think that in general, those who are coaching that, that played at a high level, um, I think 
the industry hasn't seen the value in that, right? And I think I shared it earlier. I feel like when I got into teaching and coaching, it's like I knew I there's a whole heck of a lot I didn't know, right? I mean, I I recognized, you know, the huge gaps from where I am coming off the tour to where I need to be as a coach. And, you know, I think probably like you and I, the dedication we put into becoming, you know, elite players, you know, we just switched it over and we approach our coaching the same way, right? I would agree with that. I, I think I've put more time and effort into coaching than I did playing, like way more. Right. Yeah. And and I know a lot of coaches that, that didn't have the opportunity to play at our, at our level or in that environment um, are doing the same, right? But I think that an advantage that we might have is that we know what matters a little bit better, right? <laughs> you know? And, and you know where you're trying to get to, you know, where, and I know that, you know, the, there's a lot of um, some very popular folks on social media that they might even be math experts or science experts or whatever. And you say, well, you can't, you literally can't stand on a tee and expect to you have a technique where you, you won't hit it left. You know what I mean? But I sure as hell felt that on the 72nd hole at the BC Open. All right. Pawns up the left side. In my mind, it's like I had a feel and a technique that's it's not going left, and it worked. But sure, if I stood there and hit that tee shot fifty times, I might have plunked it in the pond, you know, a few times. But but I think that or eighteen at Sawgrass, right? TPC, you know, it's always <laughs> I can't think of a tougher tee shot probably than than that one. And so it and it's just it's there in the final exam, right? So you know, our our competitive players, I want to help them develop you know a swing and feels where they feel like they can squeeze that thing in play if they need to yeah so bradley hughes golf offers a wide variety of golf lessons and packages to help you become better at this wonderful game lesson options include hourly lessons package lessons at discounted rates and full day lessons where i play with you on the course there are also options to bring me to you and also stay and play packages Will you be my guest for the day? Online lessons are available for those who can't make their way to me. Bradley Hughes Golf loves golf and loves to pass on his knowledge to golfers the world over. The only thing you'll lose is strokes from your game. See my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com, and search the lessons tab to find the option that suits you best. Bradley Hughes Golf, it's where experience counts. Well, we've seen that in tennis. Like, there's a big uptake in the probably the last 15 years of former tennis players coaching all the best players in the world. And you know, maybe it's not all physical. I think, like we said, we've done a lot of work on the physical aspect of the swing, and we understand it, and maybe keep it a lot simpler than others. But there's also the the mental side of actually being a player in the situations that these players are in, whether it's winning a PGA tournament or trying to make a cut or trying to break 80 or trying to break power. We've kind of had the experience through our whole spectrum of life to know what that person is going through. And it's not just a swing thought that's going to make you achieve that. There's a lot more to it. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, you know, I've, because of that, I've, I've, I reached out to Rick Sessinghouse during the pandemic and, you know, we kind of hit it off and spent a lot of time zoom call, zoom calls. And I went through his flow code golf stuff and, you know, 
quote unquote got certified and everything else. And, uh, you know, I stayed in touch with them, you know, still, and, but just, I, I need to, and, and I've, you know, read and listened to a lot of other, you know, mental coaches or sports psychologists and, and, and it's not because I want to hang a banner and like with flow code, there's an opportunity to kind of be available for zoom coaching, you know, and it's like, well, that's not really what I'm after. I'm after more information to know how to assimilate or pull all this stuff together. Right. Because one interacts with the other, right? So we can see somebody make some bad move on the last hole and flare it out of play, and um, and it was basically because of what went on in the mind, right? You know, their swing, their swing was more than adequate to 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 hit the shot, but but we all know that yeah, stuff gets in the way, and so so when we train our players, whether it be a club golfer or um, a tour player, you know, all that stuff matters. And, uh, where did the bad swing originate, so to speak? Right. So you got to work on all those elements. Yeah. I had that as one of my questions, actually, it was like, do you think a golfer's mental capacity decreases because of bad technique? But like you said, you could stand on the range, you could stand up on Thursday and hit the perfect shot. So obviously there's some mental interference there. Because, you know, the basic, a golf ball is not going to do what you tell it to do. It can only work by the physics of what it's delivered with. But there's obviously the brain interferes with that. So it's a strong correlation between the two. And yeah. people always ask me, is it technique or is it mental? I say, well, it's, you know, it can be both or one leads to the yeah. other. Or Yeah. 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 I've got, I could reach over and over here to the side. I've got, um, a little EEG wearable headband. I haven't used it that much, but my intent was like, okay, I want to, like at times, you know, it's tough because it's at this point, they're still, even though it's pretty streamlined, it's not comfortable to wear necessarily if you're out playing. But, but be, the point is, is like, I'm curious, like it would be wonderful to know what the heck was going on in there when you hit that shot, right? And if you could take your students as they play and you kind of have a report you know, whatever, but it all works together. So the answer to your question is, yeah, both, you know, it could be, it could be that uh, certainly, as you know, when we're in the process of making a swing change, right, some of those are a little bit easier than others, but it's unsettling, right? We're less likely to trust something new, right? And the brain science is the neural pathway is not fully intact yet. It's under development. So, so that's where it's difficult to change. So, I'm a kind of a minimalist when it comes to swing change, just because of that fact, right? That there's a period of time, even though, so you frame the, okay, the risk reward, the short-term versus long-term is your, the current golf swing going to hold you back. Like you, you'll never achieve your goals unless we make some changes or can we make this more functional through kind of skill training, you know, hitting different shots. And so that's where, you know, kind of my approach with that, but there's no question that, mindset you know when you're going through the process of executing a shot it's huge it's huge and some people just naturally handle that no problem others it's a big issue you know and i heard uh, i can't remember which mental coach it was but like let's say scotty Scheffler, right you look at you know we talked about him in certain contexts but you know he uh, he's a, a person of faith so he feels like the framework of his life like this isn't that big a deal you know what i mean like so that 
So he naturally through that might be more comfortable, you know, under pressure. Like, hey, my wife and I and my family, we're going to be fine, you know, whatever. Great to win, but we'll be okay as opposed to somebody that's wired a little differently. So um, absolutely, it all makes it, it all matters for sure. Yeah. Um, so getting to what you've sort of touched on there too and started off with, you know, you said you you didn't have much of a driving range at your course, you know, maybe an hour at night later on when the, all the field had gone through. But we do see a lot of people and, and obviously a, a driving range or a studio or whatever you people nowadays have is the probably the best setting to go through a swing change because you can just drag another ball over and sort of disassociate from the result. But when you're on the course result is kind of everything and i think a lot of people obviously uh defer back to their old habits when they're on the course because they they don't trust the change so how should someone go about practicing if they really do want to improve because there has to be an element of both doesn't there practice and and course 100 percent. i would say that in the environment and the location where I teach, there's, and um, it's across all types of golfers. Okay. So that in every, every one of them has a reason why they don't play more. Okay. It could be economic. It could be time. It could be whatever. And with the golf boom and courses that are more full, it's even a bigger problem. You know, rates are going up, access is going down, courses are full. But I would say generally, um, I can't think of anyone I've had on my lesson tee in the last six months that plays too much golf. <laughs> it's like, so in general, I'd make that statement. But if somebody is working on their game, okay, and they've got um, definite challenges with their their technique, their swing is, you know, needs work. You know, and you and I are thinking, okay, what what's first, right? It might be currently say, well, there's more than one thing, but let's start with this one. Um, in that process, depending on how difficult it is for them, to, yeah, like you said, disassociating from the outcome, you know, or the result is often a, a good way to go about it. Obviously, they need to have buy-in to the process because they're going to, in their mind, suffer, you know, in a short term because it's different and difficult but so they need to understand why you know why did bradley or Brad, why did rick suggest making this change right so they need to because they'll 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 be frustrated and then if they don't understand the importance of the change they'll bail on it they'll find another instructor down the road or just you know whatever so i, I always feel like it's very important that they understand why but in that context i've got it's interesting this morning quite a few texts back and forth with a mother of a, of a 12 about to be 13 year old player. And he is passionate and works his tail off, but he's, he's suffering right now through, you know, he's not hitting the ball well, and he's got a, you know, tournament on the schedule this weekend and this whole discussion of, Hey, do you bail on the tournament? What do you do? Cause he's just, you know, the frustration, right? He's not as far along as we'd hoped he'd be at this point. Um, so like, he needs to drill. He needs to stick with, you know, for him, my, my approach is he's got to establish this, this different movement and it needs to be done, you know, starting with those half swings and whatever. And so tough to throw him into a tournament here in a few days, right? <laughs> when it's 
it's probably gonna be 34 degrees and raining and snowing so there's not much of a reason to to do it but but those are the kind of the decisions you need to make i think as far as uh, there have been times now i i have access to an indoor studio i've used used it like for six lessons this winter because i was like no i'd rather be bundled up and kind of you know we're covered but we want to see ball fly we want to get out on the grass when we can so that's my approach but there are times I I feel like even shutting off a projected screen in front of me with TrackMan, there's times just turn the damn projector off. All right. <laughs> just just not even see where it goes, you know. So so that's that's the wisdom of a coach knowing okay what what environment do you put them in so that they maybe stay more focused on something and not on something you don't want them focused on. So yeah, you know, I think there's that's just the wisdom of the coach. I think there's, well, you'll probably agree with this or you may add to it. So when I try and get someone to work on their swing, obviously, for the most part, you're going to change one little thing. Now, mm-hmm. that one thing is going to have a bearing on something else, which you can't attack yet. You sort of got to get one thing in place before you kind of attack the other because every action has a consequence or, or reaction to it. So... People do get frustrated. I mean, I've been quite lucky that most of them hit the ball better before when they leave the range than before they came. So that's a good thing. They're not as frustrated. They sort of see some light at the end of the tunnel. But then those guys will go play and they'll ring me up or text me or email me and you know, it turned to it turned to shit on the course. So you know, obviously that's gonna happen. Right. So right. I try and do something with them on the range, like when they practice and say, all right, the first 20 balls or 15 minutes is warm up. You you don't care where the ball goes. You don't even think of your golf swing too much. You know, you can work on some of the elements we're working on. And then when that time frame's over, then you get back over, you know, that was warm up and then technique. Both of them, you're not worried about the golf ball. You're just working on something, warming up, working on your technique. Next session or the next part of your session because i'm not saying do that one day and not you know you want to do the whole deal is preparation so get into your routine get into your setting up to the ball and then try not to think of the technique obviously just swing it and see how Mm -hmm. that preparation or that work is evolving into your swing then you can start worrying about the the ball flying but you're not getting obsessed with it. You're saying, okay, that's different or that's about the same or whatever. And then the last, because you, you just, you need feedback. So if a golfer is not getting feedback from something, they're not going to improve. So how how would you, would you rate that as a, a good understanding to warm up, technique, no association, and then try and swing without technique and just hit and observe and watch and find out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess, I, mine, I don't structure it exactly, you know, as far as the way you described it. I know I use those principles and that process, but as far as, you know, articulating, hey, I may borrow that from you. Um, <laughs> that's what we do as coaches, right? Um, no, it's it's wonderful. And, and so um, you and I, probably mo- with most of our students, have an advantage, and it's an earned reputation that you have but they're probably less likely to question you as opposed to some new instructor, right? 
And it's, you know, the last facility I was teaching at it. Yeah, the head pro doesn't give that many lessons, but yeah, he had a couple members that would keep seeing him for lessons and he's he's suggesting this, suggesting this, suggesting this. And they the typical club golfer doesn't really stay with it, doesn't practice much, you know, when they show up at the club, they're just there to play. And so there's not enough work going in to really change anything. But then they'll go on a golf trip and they maybe see an instructor in Arizona or something. And they come back and they the, the player shares, hey, yeah, I saw whatever. It could be in Alaska or whatever. And yeah, he's got me doing this. And it can be the exact same thing Steve's been teaching me. All right. <laughs> like, so sometimes, right, we have the advantage. So, um, you know, as long as we continue to coach well, you know, and that you you can talk, you know, convince them to go through that process, you know, and then. But for you, that process, you know, breaking up, you know, their session and how you walk through, I, yeah, it's 100% um, on point, in my opinion. And, you know, at some point in there, you want the, you know, with the, that when you mentioned feedback, it may be that they need my feedback and say, yes, yes, that was good. That was good. Because they can't even develop the feel or the sense, the proprioceptive feel of where they're trying to be. And then eventually their brain starts kicking in, right? And Absolutely. And feel with, right? And so sometimes they need that, you know, oversight and, you know, sometimes, and that's where some, you know, there's even some training aids that I think rob people of that, that kind of organization. So, you know, some, there's great aids out there, but some of them are actually not forcing the player to figure it out on their own, you know, right. all of a sudden it doesn't stick as much, but, uh, but yeah, that process is great. I think that, um, you know, I, I'm always sharing with, with players. It's like, you know, you don't, you know, most of them, they have jobs or whatever else they do with their time, their students, but that, you know, let's say Bradley, Bradley, you know, you've got something you're working on back in the day. I mean, you might do that darn thing for an hour and a half, take a little break, hit a few putts, come back and an hour and a half again. And so we have a lot of students that expect, you know, a couple of large buckets and it should be done by then, you know? And so, you know, we as coaches feel pressure to deliver quicker, but there is just the process of learning and skill development that, you know, I haven't found the secret yet. I mean, I think by directing them well and understanding the process, you, you mentioned like, okay, what's the first thing, right? And don't you dare share the second because they'll be working on that at the same time. Right? That's right. <laughs> so now, now after you get this, we're going to work on whatever else. Well, you know, they're going to go out there and try to do both at the same time. So sometimes they can pull it off. But um, but anyway, but the, that's what helped me kind of understand more about the science of learning, you know, how people learn, how you change movement and things like that. And, and unfortunately, the process isn't quick, typically, right? People have to put in the work. Instruction books have received high praise from golfers the world over. My first book, The Great Ball Strikers, was the one that helped Brendan Todd catapult back to the very top of the game. My second book, The 430 Path to Great Golf, highlights my world-famous drill series that turns any golfer into a more complete player. The third edition is a must for any golf swing junkie. Ben Hogan, The Secrets to His Success. This book shows you the swing techniques that made Hogan become renowned as the finest striker of the ball in the history of golf. And now my latest book, From the Tour to the Lesson Tee, is also available. You can find them all under the ebooks tab on my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com. 
Learn what the best did so you can become the best you can be. All downloadable in PDF form to read on your digital device anytime you like. Well, it's like Tiger, Tiger Woods. I've heard him say that it took him a year to be really comfortable with a swing change before he didn't have to think of it or yeah, became, yeah. you know, automatic. So yeah, people yeah. that think you're going to improve within one or two hours of hitting balls, they're, they're totally dreaming. He's the best player in the world and it took him a year to actually make it a habit, like his own DNA without having to really necessarily think about it as much. So, um, and I, I brought up a question before from what we were just talking about is that, so, you, you know, and you'll go through this too and obviously have, people at the end of a lesson will often say to me, um, you know, when should I see you again? Like in on Friday or in a, I say, I say, I don't want to see you for three or four weeks because yeah. if, if you don't have those three or four weeks to go away and work on this, we're doing the same thing again on the next lesson. So I know that sounds bad, like, but I don't want their money. If I'm just going to keep doing the same thing with them, I want them to get to the stage where after three or four weeks, they either see improvement or they don't but they they get an understanding or they don't or they get a feeling or they like they you need them to be more self aware which is kind of what you touched on and then you can yeah. start progressing again from there yeah 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 in the same way uh i i had for example you led uh, early on in this conversation you talked about just giving them your golf clubs right you know it was a kind of a yep. y angle so how did you know how right how did you know that that was something to try, right? Because you understand how it works together, right? And you see certain things. I, um, I maybe I'm just more aware than ever before. But poor club fits. It's an epidemic. I mean, it's like it's. I've got people showing up, and I had a 23 year old guy. He played a little golf in high school, so he's new, new student to me. Shows up yesterday, and he's got some, some, like. 60 gram regular flex graphite rocket balls and irons that are about an inch and a half too short for me. <laughs> and I just said, bud, here's, here's, here's the deal. I've got probably the best uh, club fitter as far as fitting humans dimensionally. He's got an algorithm based on a ton of science. He's right here in Seattle. He's, he's brilliant. And I said, here's the deal, Theo. I said, we're going to, you're going to come back and see me later. <laughs> okay. So, and I'll help you figure out, I don't know what your budget is, but I can't, we, this is a waste of time. You know, right. I mean, I mean, the ball's shooting straight up in the air. He's, he's bent over so bad in posture and everything else. And they really appreciate that. You know what I mean? And so, you know, of course I didn't, I'm basically deferring that income. Right. So, right. But, but that's just the way I work. It's like, and in the same way, the question, I do get the question. Okay. So when do I come back? And it's like, well, you know, I'd say, Hey, I, you need to have, three or four practice sessions at least in between right and then i use the coach now app and i said hey if you if you got questions hit me up if you want to drop a video you know whatever just in because i don't want you to waste the day of practice All right <laughs> hey hit me right away i'll get back as soon as i can but then that's the, i think we agree on the process right that um and then but but when we're looking at change right it's like you gotta have a real discussion with them about the risk reward right that's like I mean, hey, if you're not going to do the work, let's just leave it. <laughs> you know, and and this would be an adaptation. You're going to aim left. You know, you're going to take extra club, <laughs> whatever else. You're going to struggle in the wind, but 
you know, but if we're trying to flip you over, you know, even when you're heading in the right direction, you're going to be tripping and falling a bit. And that's just the process. Yeah. The club fitting is a, is a really tricky one. I'm, you know, obviously I'm a big observer of it that, you know, 90% of golfers, new, old, whatever, you know, they have a slice and that's, it's just a, a fact of golf because one, they don't understand arcs. They only try and go straight at the back of the ball and all and by the time they get to it, they're cutting across it. So yeah. They go to their club fitter guy and he makes a club that's like four degrees upright. So the heel hits first and they stop slicing. They think, wow, this is awesome. But six months later, that swing gets worse and worse. So my friend, John Erickson, who you know, we talked about, he uh, he called it swing cancer. It basically just yeah. puts cancer in your swing and it doesn't make you swing in the right manner. But we see it a lot because I think a lot of fittings are very um, – band 80 and that they're trying to get a shot immediately by a club fitting with detrimental effect on the swing itself. And we, we yeah. see that all the time. It's, yeah. it's hard to watch because people spend a lot of money on golf clubs and for the most yeah. part, they're doing them an, an injustice, even swinging them or holding them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so apologetic to people. It's like, gosh, I know you're already spending a fair amount of money to come see me and, now I'm suggesting you have to spend some more, but I just, I just, I got to be honest with you. It's like, I hope, hopefully you want that from me. It's like you, these clubs are holding you back, you know, and it's yeah. not about buying. I was like, get on eBay and find, you can get a 10 year old set that's, you know, and then we might cut a half an inch off or whatever. You don't, you don't have to spend five grand on new equipment or whatever, but um, it's got to be proportionally, you know, set up so somebody can, can get in the right, setup position and so they can move well yeah. and, and everything and so i had a you may have seen it but on formerly twitter um i guess I've yeah i did say that i know what you're going to talk about but fill us in again yeah yeah just that you know trackman numbers show path and face almost zeroed out right 0.2 degrees right okay both path and face and the ball ended up 25 yards left with a five iron and and so, you know, it's, how quickly did anyone get the answer? Um, it actually wasn't even an instructor or a coach. And I don't <laughs> think there's that many coaches. I don't think there's that many coaches that follow me in the first place, but I was trying to get them to answer it. And um, so basically it's like, oh, toe hit. And well, even though he's got Taylor made P790s, they're a little hollow. There may be a little bit of a gear effect, but an iron's not going to, the toe strike isn't going to behave like a toe strike on a driver. And to be honest, Bradley, I was like, I, yeah, I sat there, I was puzzled for a couple minutes, you know, until, you know, I, so basically you take a lofted golf club, you know, and if it's delivered and it's not horizontal to the ground, meaning, you know, it's toe deep or heel deep, the center of the face is pointed somewhere else other than where you want it. So in this case, case. And this is a really talented, new to me, student, 13 years old, super athletic, super good. He's going places. Like, you know, you just know, you know he's got that determination. Well, this is a fairly recent purchase by the parents, you know, and and he was fit. And the club's way too long and too upright. And so if we don't catch that immediately, so that was like on a, that lesson was maybe a Tuesday or something. He was in, in with the fitter on Friday, meaning we got to grab it immediately because this kid's going to learn to 
whatever early extend and whatever right. space for that to create space for that golf club and if we let that persist he's going to be held back and ruined and that the kid i mentioned that i you know who's struggling along the 12 year old um we're dealing with stuff that he developed because he plays and practices a ton and he's been doing it for five or six years and he developed movement patterns around crappy fitted clubs yeah. expenses expensive as heck the parents spared no expense but it's, it is tough to fit you know a 12 year old kid that's a good player but he he learned to stand up and out of it and whatever else and so so it's just one of those things that that uh is important that um and unfortunately professional club fitters a lot of them aren't very good you know, they just, I, I kind of said that you you touched on it there. I always try and say like, just like you are what you eat, you your swing will react to what you're swinging, basically. So, mm -hmm. I just overall, I think obviously the club's got to work in an arc rather than a straight line. So I always try and urge people to flatter than they think. Sure. But the yeah. problem when you uh, go for a club fit is you're also fitted for how you're hitting it that session or that day so yeah it's no you know, things are different you might have a stiff neck you might um you know be trying to pound one a bit more to show off to the fitter all these different things so there's there's a real philosophy behind getting properly fitted and obviously one session ain't going to do it and any band-aid to try and fix a poor swing is not going to do it you, you need to kind of understand how do i want to swing and then try and fit yourself towards that. I think that's a much better reward. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You you would want to put them in a golf club that might force them to do Correct. what you want them to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So they they they're making a compensation originally to try and make this different looking club work, but at least it's in the right direction. It's not the it's not the other way. So um What's the best advice you believe that you've got? I'll, I'll tell you mine in a minute. What's your big, not not go-to thing, but more often than not, when you tell someone something, it, it tends to make them get better. Mm -hmm. um, I would say um, like an expression, a couple of expressions that are, you know, kind of travel around. They're not, they don't originate, originate with me, but but I think like club faces is king is probably an over, you know, an overstatement. But quite often, if you look at the orientation of that golf club, is it, you know, changing direction and moving towards the strike, that if that club face is quite a bit open, you know, it's going to dictate a certain type of movement or compensation, right? And same thing with the other, you know, if the club face is very shut. And so, so I feel like, you know, that's, something that that is super important right and and obviously um you know pivot or how you know nowadays how somebody uses the ground but again that is influenced by you know if you give me i don't play much golf anymore but you put me in an open club face position coming down coming down towards contact i'm going to have to make a compensation because i've got a target in mind so whether i yes. back up back up and whatever give myself time or shut shut rotation down so i can rotate the face and square it up or back up and swing left and whatever it's like well if i tell tell players in that situation to go ahead and you know 
get aggressive to your lead side and turn well they're going to flare it so far right it's a joke right so it's just so for me it's, it'd be that functional matchup and club face thing now right it's a pleasure to work with great athletes that's a lot of the things they just do naturally right. it's usually a couple tweaks you know folks that either because of lack of ex, uh, athletic experience you know and they don't have those innate movement patterns that those are really tough in my opinion to coach you know we we do the best we can but um anyway so so i would say um quite often uh i can give people kind of the good feeling there's a lot of folks that have never felt a solid strike you know some people call it compressing the ball or whatever and you know sometimes i will just to give them that feeling and and i i'd like to do things at full speed and in full swing as much as possible but sometimes they're not ready for that. So despite what Brandon Manzella tells me, um, you know, I think slow and small at times is, <laughs> is okay. But, um, but to get people in that kind of square club face position down there, or, you know, the P5, P6 or whatever, and, and then use body rotation to deliver the club to the ball, you know, and I know it's a constraint and we don't literally take somebody's hands and arms out of the golf swing. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't want to anybody think right. that, but if they can, if they can feel what a square, you know, a club face that squares early enough and to then you strike a golf ball from that position, um, I usually, you know, it's it's like the drug, right? They felt a solid strike for the first time, even if the seven iron went 100 yards, um, then we can build around that. So so I use that approach, and um, I'd love to see them accomplish it, again, like it's full speed and full swing, but sometimes I do need to, so that's again a do you, element. Yeah. Do you think a better path fixes the club face, or do you think you need the club face to help fix the path? It's kind of depends on the person, would you say? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. It does depend. I use that those two words together an awful lot. It depends. You know? Yeah. Um, I would say higher percentage club face gives their brain permission to create the the proper path. So I'd, you know, I'd, I'd say more often than not changing a club face position and then, I'll, I mean, somebody that's got an open club face position and we try to get them to move their path to the right. I think their brain doesn't dare want to do that. Right. <laughs> you know, and cause it kind of doesn't make sense to them, but not to say there's some people that, you know, will self-organize, right. That if, um, you know, that's, that's the, one of my favorite things, self-organization and simplicity. <laughs> it's like, a, if we can do it that way, you know, that's my preference. But um, I'm, I'm more, yeah, I think if we get, if, if you're talking about the slicers that you're describing, you know, that usually if we can get them, uh, like I've, I've, I don't do it much anymore, but the before and after photos or videos and yeah. a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't seem very humble. Oh, it's like, well, look what I did, you know, kind right. of thing. But, but I've seen, sh you know, hey, shaft shallows, all those things you want because they've got a club space that now it makes sense to swing more rotationally or get off that straight line, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, they're, well, they're not adjusting it to try and get the ball go straight, are they? It's no, kind of where no. it, so, where it has to be. Yeah, so so I think that you know, yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, we're halfway around the country, but it'd be cool to hang out on your practice, see, see how you do things, right? Because we can learn from each other. And it's just, you know, we, I don't want to get stuck in my way of doing things, right? I'm always open to, hey, you know, I should try that with that type of player. And 
um, every now and then we hung up with one player. It's like, gosh, you know, it's just not clicking, you know? And so that's where, you know, it used to be, I'd, you know, you'd, you'd be scared of hitting that shot on 17 at TPC Sawgrass or something. Now it's like, you know, I feel some of that same pressure to deliver for students, right? Cause you know, there's, they're spending good money. They're working hard and, you know, I got to come through for them with some good advice. Um, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, I've had a couple of guys who I we used to play with on tour who are now coaches at I, I guess college level, and uh, one of them's written me twice. He's actually sent two kids to me, and he goes, "I love this kid. I don't know how to fix him anymore. I I just can't work it out." So he sent him yeah. to me, which is yeah. I think that was really cool that instead yeah. of trying to just you know guess or. Mm-hmm. hopefully get the kid right he he sort of realized i think he needs another set of eyes do you mind if he comes yeah. down so mm-hmm. i think that's yeah. good to do stuff like that yeah 100 percent. i yeah i've got um like i've got you know sort of a kick i i'm, I'm good at ideas you know as far as following through and executing on them right but i'm pretty pretty creative but but you know you know that a lot of players right have certainly at the tour level they've got their team right so they got whatever they might have a mental coach they might have you as a swing coach you might be both whatever but i feel like um there needs to be a head coach right that understands how it all works and that's usually you know historically fallen on the player right you might have an agent that's involved whatever but but i feel like the coordination of like i'm a kind of a one-man operation i gotta kind of be all of it and i will send people to the golf fitness folks i work with and you know, everything else, but, but I think most coaches don't have that. And then yeah. so that's where I've chosen to kind of broaden my understanding of a lot of different disciplines. But, but I do feel like sometimes like if you're, if I'm your mental coach and I find out that I didn't know that you're off, you know, the week before the major working on swing changes with your swing coach, it's like, Hey, no, we need to all talk you know, because right. there's the right time. And so, so sometimes there's, that element of a kind of a it's not being coordinated now nowadays what i get is i get people that come to my my tea just like yours that are all over instagram and youtube right and they've shoot it's like are you trying trying to train to be a swing coach you're trying to be a player it's like you don't need to know all that stuff. Right. you get too much of it right so you gotta find a path and stay on it but um yeah but but to the point of the college coach and i'm sure he's somebody i know well but um yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I've I've run things past coaches before. You know, kind of like, hey, I'm I'm struggling. This is, you know, she's not getting where we want. This is how I see it. What do you see? You know, it either affirms what you're doing, or say, like, hey, maybe try something. This this is yeah. You know, not not hey, you, you stink. <laughs> right. A lousy job. Yeah. No no coach is yeah. trying to mess someone up. They're all trying to do their no. best. Right. Right. Exactly. And so, um, and I think that. You know, I'd like to think I'm a better coach now than I was 10 years ago, right? I mean, it's like, so, um, so the dinosaur aspect of things can be a good thing, right? Because <laughs> we've we've traveled more distance, we've learned more. But uh, there's, as much as that may sound like a, a knock on young, there's I'm around. There's a lot of young, I mean, guys and gals that are coaching that are fantastic, right? And right. it's like, yeah, we all we all still have stuff to learn. The danger is when we don't know, we still have. Stuff. Yeah. So you yeah. talked about athletes before, and obviously, you know, I've been fortunate to teach a 
bunch of athletes in from other sports that are obviously athletic, but some of them have no idea how to swing a golf club or such and such. But um, this is probably not a poor question, but it, it's a it's a not a knock on anyone. Do you think a lot of instructors on tour get false credit because the players they're teaching are really good anyway? Like, have they actually done a lot to improve them, or are they just lucky in the right spot? Or yeah, because obviously tour players like with me with Brandon Todd, that's really helped my brand by having a tour player. You said you don't have any players that you're working with at the minute, but a lot of them do get a lot of recognition. You look at the lists and they, you know, all those guys are up the top five because they've got good players. But do you think your grandmother could have taught Tiger Woods and he was still going to be a good player? Like it, there's a lot of things like that. How did you agree with that? Oh yeah. hundred percent, especially with Tiger. Right. And, uh, uh, it's sort of like you got to not mess them up. Right? Just don't show them anything right. you're going to mess them up because they're good to do anything you tell them. They're still going to be good. Because neither, right? Nobody can measure how good they'd be without us or that coach, right? So, um, yeah, I uh, Tiger's obviously the, you know, the conversation that usually happens, right? And so, which of, you know, the Butch Haney Como fully you know which era was he better and well the hit that this coach inherited him when he was at his worst and he got him back and all that sort of thing um uh you do you know bobby clampett you yes know, or certainly know of him yeah absolutely bobby. yeah i know bobby yeah yeah so so he he famously you know came on as this dominant amateur player showed up just you know he was going to be the next nicholas you know and um of course, he famously worked with Ben Doyle in the golf movie. Well, Bobby, he was working with Ben during his ascension, right, to greatness. But um, he had Andy Martinez caddying for him for a good part of his early career. And I believe it was Andy that said what Bobby needs is to go to Alaska, go out there, out some remote place, just a golf course, no driving range, you know, seven clubs, not 14 and just go play a ton, you know, because like the brilliance was already there. Right. And so, um, you know, a lot of people feel that way about Tiger. Now I think that, you know, Tiger, whether it was Butch guiding him through it or whatever, when he learned to control spin a little bit better and maybe back off, you know, how hard he's trying to hit an eight iron and things like that. That's kind of a skill development thing. Right. And I know they worked on swing technique also, but, but yeah, the best coaches, um, you may introduce the right thing at the right time. Right. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, certainly I know Jason days work tirelessly with Como, right. And, and Jason's playing some good golf again and whether he's prevented back injury or he's become a better player or whatever, it's like the mission is always a little bit different. It could be yeah, somebody has a, something in their, the way they, they swing a golf club where it's going to have them, recouping from injury all the time so right. that might be one object one objective the other might be how oh, we need to increase performance or whatever so um tough to say i think great players make great coaches is that yeah. <laughs> and then and then there's absolutely i wouldn't mention i think there's coaches that have done brilliant work and taken players to the next level and it happens you know frequently but but you know i didn't enter coaching saying hey i want to be a tour coach some of, them, some, some of them did 
You know what I mean? Like, so I think that, you know, that their business plan is to be a tour coach, you know? And so, yeah. um, but I think, yeah, I think guys like you and I can definitely help a ton of those guys out there if they were interested, but they're not seeking a dinosaur in Seattle. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think the, you know, that Hippocratic oath do no harm. I think it's like, um, unfortunately, that's not being respected in every situation or every, you know, where like you just don't break out the scalpel with an elite player, you know, and start changing stuff. You yeah. Know? There's got to be a really good reason to do it. And it needs to be done at the right time in the right period, you know, and that sort of thing. And uh, nowadays, you know, I think it's harder to get out on tour than, than when I got out there. Um, once, once somebody's there, you know, unless somebody's sitting there with a five-year exemption or something, it's like, you know, you worked so hard to get there. You're obviously good enough to get there. And then to, once you're there, start changing stuff. Like that's one of the, the biggest mistakes that breaks my heart when you see somebody out there, like they make that move, right? That somebody's like, yeah, well. You'll hear that a lot. They, you know, they say, I want to get, I wanted to get better, but it, you know, you're already pretty good, ain't it? It's just, it's yeah, just, it's not how about, how about being at being at your best more often or close to your best. More yeah. Often, you know, kind of right. So anyway, but uh yeah, that's uh, it's just I can't comment more than that because it's just not the place I hang out these days, you know. All right. Like I right. So it'd be it's not fair for me to say, but I, I do think that um then you've got players like Wyndham Clark that's stepping away All right. from thinking of his swing and screwing around, right? So at some point um finding the right balance every player is different right there's tinkers and fiddlers that are at their best when they're doing that maybe maybe tiger was that way you know i i think players can get bored quite frankly you know that you know they don't realize it but they get it's okay to show up you know play an early practice round hit a few short game shots and a few putts and get the heck off property you know i think yeah. that more players need to be doing that but you're heading back to a you know, a lonely hotel room. So they hang out and screw with stuff. But um, I did that. Can you tell? I, I am well aware that I, I should have just, I couldn't, I, I absolutely, I need a padded room if I'm out there in a five and a half hour practice round. So I, I'd play at 7.15 in the morning, do my thing and get it done. Yeah. Get it, get it done. That worked for me. I mean, I think I mentioned this too when we spoke recently that I, um, you know, I get a lot of, when Brandon's playing well, I get a lot of questions from the people, you know, the commentators out they'll text me like, what are you guys working on anything? And I, well, I kind of have to say, I'm sorry you're going to hear this, but we're not really doing anything different. It's kind of the same stuff. You know, we don't change a lot. Even when I go to tournaments, I sit on a chair behind my guys and I just sort of watch a few and have a coffee and yeah, turn my head down the range and look at what other people do. I'm, I'm not there fascinated by what they're, doing because like you said we've already done good work and anything that late in the proceedings is probably going to hurt more than help yeah yeah and in that brief chat we had you know it, you know the way you approach it is you know wise right get the work done prior to the week right like i you know i think i comment it's like i, I get it it's, it's okay you need but you need clients that are okay with saying yeah that's good yeah. You know, and you flew in and they're paying you and that that's worth what whatever you're 
your earnings, so to speak. Well, even even when some of my guys get a little panicky that they're not hitting the good, I really try not to do much. I, I just say, hey, remember that time we were down at Hilton Head? And I just like throw some positive in there that tweaks their head. It's not really a change sometimes. And, and that's kind of where a coach needs to learn their player. Like you kind of got to know what each player needs. So it's a very fascinating, I mean, there's kind of psychology and teaching as well, you know, how you how you go about it. And I think this has kind of been a lot of the topic of our um, thing today is that good golfers kind of are a lot aware of a lot more than maybe we give ourselves credit for because it's just habit or other people think that we, you know, give you credit for. So it's uh, yeah. it's kind of fun. Hopefully, um, what's your um, future plans? I know you talked maybe of something else happening in a different area at some point, but you run us through yeah, where I'm, you yeah, maybe I'm, end up with. Well, I'm, I'm still um, <laughs> in development, so to speak, right? I've got, um, I, I feel like uh, there's a better way to do coaching you know then and a lot of times uh what holds us back is i don't know about your your situation but a lot of times it's facility you know driven you know sometimes it's like yeah it'd be great to just be dragging groups of people onto the golf course you know more often and stuff but then whether or not you've got that freedom or cooperation as a facility and access and you know sometimes um I, I can't anticipate, I can't imagine moving into like fully indoor, right? So it's like, that's just, and, and that costs me money, right? Because I'm in Seattle, Washington, but it's like, um, I've got a facility that's kind enough to let me jump into theirs once in a while. But, uh, um, but anyway, just as far as how do you develop the skill of playing good golf, right? And so there's all the different aspects and, and yeah, I'd like to, to, to move in the direction of, of I mean, I'll, I'll have somebody sign, you know, one hour session, you know, get the traditional model. And there's times, hey, if there's there's spot in the golf course, let's jump in a cart, let's go out there and, you know, do the thing. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do that quite often. Um, but, you know, it may be difficult to secure a block of tee times and whatever else. But I think that, I think that that's what's missing in, in, in most coaching environments is, you know, the, we talked about earlier the importance of of players getting on the golf course more often, but then coaches actually seeing your player on the golf course. And All right. That it was uh, I think I heard. So I don't personally know Mark Bull, but Mark is what he's a three D, four D biomechanist or whatever I think over in the UK or something. But but he was somehow I may may be wrong, but the way I heard the story is is that he's done research and he's measured players in the practice environment and on course and it's entirely different All right <laughs> Talk, talking about how people move and whatever so it makes you wonder you know if i if i did you know get you know kind of the 3d 40 you know whatever if somebody in a studio either hooked up to wires or not you know and you know hitting balls into a screen or out into a driving range is that really who they are you know and right. so so that i'd say more you know it's so I'd say moving in that direction. And then um, I'm not pursuing, you know, trying to work with better players, but my heart wants to 
I saved some of them because I feel like I just feel like um, obviously it's watching from you know whether it be streaming or watch on television or just I just sense that um, they're not being coached the way you coach players you know what I mean and and um, it, I think it's a lot easier to to just you know work on golf swing you know like and um, and somebody needs to have a broad enough understanding like when you were describing your approach sitting on the chair you know having a cup of coffee or you know the conversation you have with a player let's draw their memory back to the good time that sort of thing that i made me think of butch you know it's like i i promise you that, that i haven't spent time hanging out with him but it sure appeared that that he was that way right he had his guy yeah. and they're walking they're laugh, laughing coming down the fairway in a practice round and whatever i mean there's and like you said earlier on i mean he grew up around his dad, a Masters champion, Ben Hogan, was around. Butch won a tour event. You know, he's played at a high level, and just so that just that general understanding of where uh, peak performance, you know, where it comes from. And he'll bust their butts. I know you may get them working hard, but they'll also, you know, lap it up and have a good time. And so, um, yeah, it's easy to lose the joy of playing. I don't know about your career when it ended up, but mine it was like gonna wait to get out of there you know so um but uh yeah that's that's just a different approach to coaching and i think there's specialists right that like we talked about earlier it might be i need to send a swing video off to somebody that hey give me a second opinion on what i'm doing with this kid or this player and um but i think you know my i guess my approach is more of that kind of that head coach you know kind of you know how does it all fit together what's the, right. plan, what's the process and um that's kind of where I think probably my strength lies. Latest ebook is now available. From the tour to the lesson tee includes 55 instruction articles to help you simply understand what can be complex and difficult topics about the golf swing and about the golf game in general. My fourth book also includes stories from my playing days that will help highlight the work, the dedication, the agonies and the ecstasies that the world of professional sport imparts on everyone taking that journey. This ebook is concise, simple, and asks the golfer and the student to engage in swing discussions that are often quite simply over their heads. Get your copy now under the ebooks tab on my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com, or find the link on my Instagram profile at behughesgolf. It's designed to make you the best player that you can be. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of full day lessons where I'll do, you know, driving range for a few hours, short game for a few hours, go have lunch. And then I go out and play nine holes with them because like you said, the range is totally different. The range is flat. You're hitting the same club over and over. You get onto a golf course, you've got different lies, different winds, different visuals. It, it's it's bound to be different and it, it's pretty interesting yeah. I'd love to hear you one day if you went and played 18 holes or nine holes with that thing strapped on your head, what it was telling yeah. you on, on different yeah. shots. Cause I'm sure some would yeah. freak you out right. more than others. Well, I think, I think we need to get to the point where it's, um, and I'm sure that somebody, there may be a product out there already that is, you know, I don't know if, you know, Hey, my Apple watch will ever detect brainwave activity or, but something where you're not having, you know, looking like you're right. coming out of the Star Star Wars movie, but, you know, <laughs> something to where, and even if, 
if it's allowed. So the whoop whoop band guys wear those when they play, right? So if you had some device to where you as a coach, you know, can go back and look at what's what's what went on throughout the round and at what times, right? So I think we're almost there. I think Seth and House and his bunch are trying to get there, and I know others are, right? So that's where I'm curious about that technology. Just you know, because a player may describe. Um, I'll leave it. At, I don't know if you know Izzy Justice. You know that name? You maybe I think he's in your part of the world, and I don't know how great he is, whatever. But he he told a story on a podcast of so he's supposedly you know mental coach, and he's at a tour event. One of his clients, he was watching him play on a Thursday or Friday or whatever it is, and uh, one of the his clients playing partners just was playing a gorgeous round of golf, just phenomenal, you know, and then that player gets to the, the last hole and flares the tee shot way right out of play and makes double. And that player signs his card, heads straight to the driving range and hits drivers for two hours. And uh, Izzy tells the story that, you know, he was around when that player came off the range and, you know, he went up and said, Hey, I just want to tell you, I was out there watching me play. That was a gorgeous round of golf. Phenomenal. He says, do you mind me asking what happened there on 18? What were you thinking? He says, well, be honest I got and that just doesn't that t-shot doesn't feel good to me and I got up there and kind of my last thought was kind of hey don't hit it left and so Izzy says well with all due respect you just wasted two hours of your time working on the wrong thing right all right so that's, <laughs> right so that's that's the coat right that's the coat right we've all done that right so so understanding the context and sure if we knew if you knew what was going through their head when they hit the shot they hit right you can start training some important things and and they're doing that now, right? They're doing that now. It's just so he he advertises that he uses a brain track command, which is basically an EEG machine, you know, device. And so, you know, that's I'm I'm interested in that. I'm always curious, and uh, you and I have both felt it, right? Right. Unsettled, unsettled, bad shot. You know, was it your swing or not? You know, on the 18th tee at Sawgrass, I've felt it many times. I've never hit it in the water though, thank goodness, because I knew how not <laughs> yeah. to hit it in the water. That, that, right, that is right. a scary T-shirt. Yeah. Well, do you mean you didn't just move your target 30 yards to the right? Well, no, then no, right. because then you're in the right rough and you got no shot right. either. <laughs> well, but your dispersion with that club is 60 to 70 yards. What are you going to do? So I'm, I'm kind of being facetious here, but I know. You know whether it be whether it be my my friend Scott Fawcett and Lou Stagner, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, I get the data. I understand the data. But is it as situational, right? So like... You know, I got it in a back and forth with Scott a little bit. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago at least, but uh, the 14th hole at, at Mirfield Village. I think it's 14, right? The shorter one with the water. Yeah, the the along. yeah and he was making the argument that the play there is driver, a driver. Now, <laughs> we didn't do that back then. We didn't hit it as far, but so it wasn't a decision, at least for me. You know, maybe maybe the shark, <laughs> it was a, some somebody that hit it further could do that, but like you know this whole thing like trying to get to her hey there's no emotion you just grab your driver and you aim it to the left and it's like well you and i both know i mean you are more of a flusher than me but you know there's gonna be times where you know that 270 cover over the bunker you're not as confident right because you're you're not necessarily hitting in the screws you know or whatever right so i think that the best players in the world situationally adapt that's right theory you know and and I, that's one of those things where you and I know that you just said, that's right. You didn't question it. Tiger did it. Nicholas did it. Hogan did it. I mean, and yet in this environment currently, 
there's so much opposition to those statements, right? Mm -hmm. Because the map like the the old angles don't matter thing. I I mean, if you play Royal Melbourne in the middle of summer, angles matter like crazy. Just like the seventeenth at St Andrews, angles matter. If you can get it down the right yeah. side, you don't even have to hit it near that road bunker coming up and to you're the better, green. Better better off in an opposite fairway than right left there. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, so yeah. those angles do matter, but it, it's you know, it's kind of frustrating as a player to understand it and be able to play it at the highest level and, and know that some of the stuff you read is total BS. Like it's not, it's not for everyone. It's not for every situation. Yeah. Well, there's reputations behind it, right? Perceived, <laughs> perceived expertise and, and maybe you and I don't have carry that same weight, right? So if you jump in with the sharks and make a comment, you know, they all attack, you know, and, right. and, um, Anyway, it's interesting. So that's where that's where I do think that it's important that players or former players are in the mix, right? And um, I think I shared with you having been, you know, in Orlando a few weeks ago, at, and I attended an open forum, which is, you know, in general, you know, a lot of more of the science based. When I say science based, we what you and I do is very science based, but you know, what I'm talking about the the more technical approach, and uh, you know when. Parker McLaughlin and Brad Faxon are up on the panel about short game, you know, with Manzella, Joe Mayo, you know, whatever else. It, it didn't seem to be a fair fight, meaning not that one is more of an expert than the other, but the conversation is drawn to, you know, if you're not measuring it, you know, it doesn't count, you know, right. like that. And, and so, um, I don't know. I was, I'd say certainly strength of my game beyond putting was, you know, I was kind of a wizard around the greens and saved, saved my butt, you know, getting it up and down a lot. I had zero idea what my attack angle was. Correct. Yeah. Anything. I was just trying to present the club into the ground and the ball a certain way, you know? And so, so, so when Parker and Brad might be more, you know, describing things in that manner, you know, there's a good portion of the industry that just dismisses them, you know. Yeah. So, Actually, I saw your little thing on Twitter the other day. They said you, Greg Norman had the record for least three-putt percentage in a year and you you had one more three-putt throughout a year to miss the mark. Yeah, whatever that benchmark was. Yeah. It was it yeah. was under 1% or 0.01 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was always a strength, you know, and uh, I led the tour and putting stat one year and stuff, so. So obviously my career, you know, it made me a few few bucks and extended it and whatever, right? And so, you know, it was not in the middle of my career. It was kind of more in the early stage where I kind of got lost with my swing mechanics, you know, kind of introducing a different approach to things and getting very technical. But the other parts of my game were strong enough to survive, you know. And so, you know, it's, again, it's, you know, I don't regret it, but it's like I learned from it, you know, that, you know, you got to coach the player that you're coaching, right? And you just said that you're different players. You, you work with them differently. You know, they might need a, a recall, of, you know, back when they were great. You know, don't forget, you haven't struggled like this your whole life. And, you know, quite often it's a place where things were simpler, you know, that and that's, that's the magic that I'm always looking for is what is the simplest, you know, it doesn't mean unside and scientific, but what is the simplest way, you know, to achieve what we're trying to achieve? And yet, I think that um, it's not just golf 
in golf coaching, but so many things in life now are highly technical. Everything's measured, everything's evaluated. Right. And, and well, you had your own, you had your own putting data. You led the two of five or six years and did all that. There's, there's your data. You didn't even know have have to have the readings of it. Hey, here's my data. I was best putter on two or five years in a row. Well, I, I, it's a bit of an over exaggeration, but like my mother can putt fine. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not that really real. It's really not that complicated, right? You know what I mean? It's like, and what do you, what does the player really need to know? Right. So I, I doubt that many of tour players are miss hitting the putt so grossly that it's affecting things too much. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay. Just, I'm good. I'm, it's, I can make three to six footers. I'm lagging it fine. Carry on. You know what I mean? Like, and then, but everybody's looking for, and, and with analytics, it might be, yeah, but your strokes game putting, you're minus 0.18, you know? So it might be that that's where that player is the rest of their career, no matter how, how hard they work on it. And it's like, you right. beat beat guys in this other area of the game. So you certainly don't neglect weaknesses, but I think too often, um, then, then, then the, then now you're looking for a problem, right? So now you're, now their mind is on technique and now things are getting worse, you know? So good coaches. Kind of like Scotty Scheffler, who you brought up earlier, like everyone, he's getting a bad rap for all his putting. Obviously he hits it better than everyone else. So he's going to have a lot more shorter putts for birdies and things yeah. like that. So it affects his stats, but technically you wouldn't say he's a bad putter. He's maybe too good a hitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know which one's more sustainable, but I'd say keep, <laughs> Got to keep doing what you're doing, and that's that's a whole nother conversation. I know we gone on, but you know, kind of. Um, I've met Randy Smith, but you know, it'd be interesting. You know, I don't know if you chatted with him, but it'd be like, you know, he's coached some pretty darn good players, you know, and and they're all different, right? And so whether it's again, you know, and Randy seems like a great guy. I've heard him describe some of the things he's done, and there's some brilliance in it. But also, it's like, well, pretty good athletes that maybe are going to get there or close to it on their own anyway. Right. And I think that all of us, I'm the first to point point to the player as the reason it's happening. Right. And, um, but anyway, but yeah, Scotty, I, I, I think now, and uh, I talked to Saxon about, um, you know, obviously he does some work in the putting, you know, coaching era and, you know, kind of talked about what he knows about other putting coaches and how they do things. And so, um, I do feel like it. I'd be concerned a little bit if if a really good player is getting getting overly technical, right? And, yeah. Yeah. You know, brief. I'll just a real brief story. So I I'm kind of at the end of my career. Howard Twitty got to know. I was living in the Arizona area, and so got to know Howard pretty well. And Howard and Dr. Lanny Johnson did a lot of work out on tour um, years ago, and uh, they used Sam Putt Lab at times. I'd never been on it. So he set it up in the locker room there at PPC Scottsdale and put me on there. And he could point out the like five or six things I don't do properly. Except get it in the hall. <laughs> right. So, so again, probably a great tool. I don't use Sam. I mean, I had it at a former place I taught and I just told the other pro to give him the Sam putting lesson. I'm not doing it because right. quite honestly, 
yeah, it's like he was the expert. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but but what do you do to a player when you who's an exceptional putter and you tell him the rate of acceleration is off? All right. Now you're going to think of that and mess yourself up. Go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Right. So we got to be careful. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rick. I appreciate you talking, mate. Um, fill us in how people can find you. Like you said, you're up near Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you're starting to get some good weather and you're going to book that lesson yeah. sheet up. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, we've got a little cold stretch coming through this week. But uh, uh, easiest way to find me is if somebody knows how to spell my last name, which is F. <laughs> E-H-R, so uh, F like Frank, E-H-R, but Fairgolf, so fairgolf.com, at Fairgolf, Instagram, X, Twitter, whatever that's called, so just at Fairgolf and fairgolf.com, they can figure out where I'm at, and so I'm in outside Seattle, Newcastle, Washington, Um, that image in the background is the gorgeous clubhouse, and so 36 holes, good practice facility, and, um, but you know, facility just assists, right? It's, um, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, fun coaching, and it's 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 great visiting with you and learning. Uh, I learn a lot chatting with guys like you, and um, you know, it's fun to help people, right? That's kind of why we do it. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So knowledge is nothing avoid, if you can't try and pass it on. Yeah, and avoid the mistakes that I've made. So that's, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm probably. I've shared enough about that. that It's like, yeah, my mulligan would be, you know, if I'm going to have coaching, it would be a little bit different, but um, I'd have been fine without it. And I'll tell people that all the time. It's like, Hey, if I never see you again, you just send me a text once in a while about how great you're playing. You know, that's a victory. Well, that's it for another episode of Bradley Hughes golf podcast. For more information about my golf instruction, check out my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com. If you like to watch golf videos to make you a better player, sign up for my members only site, Bradley Hughes Golf Members.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.